honesty, passion, experience. It's Timberwolves Explosion, hosted on thesportstuff.com. And now, your host, Paladino Joey. Hello again, Timberwolves fans. Are you ready for the explosion of Timberwolves basketball? I am your host, Paladino Joey, or Joey Awajan. Timberwolves Explosion is available on iTunes, which is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, PodMN, which is, of course, a local Minnesota podcast application. Highly recommend that for those of you in Minnesota, because you can... Yeah, basically, I'm a Minnesota podcast, so I can be on PodMN. Very cool. And there's a re- uh, reward program on there, of course, for free, obviously. Uh, obviously, I mentioned iTunes, Spotify. Uh, you got your, <laughs> you got your TuneIn Radio. You got your, uh, you got your, uh, <laughs> no, I like to mess around. That's the old Marcus, the forecaster way of doing it. Uh, double twist. Uh, Stitcher, all those different applications you can use. Podman, highly recommended if you're from Minnesota, of course, and you know all that good stuff. But Apple Podcasts, Google, the most common and easiest to use, I suppose, for most people. But uh, today we're not going to really talk Timberwolves basketball, other than of course one major thing. So we'll talk about that probably right about it here at the beginning. Uh, unfortunately, with Carl uh, Anthony Towns's mother, of course, Jackie Towns. That was a very unfortunate situation. It's like you just, you know, when they said medically induced coma. And then you heard no news after that. It's just kind of, you know, it's just one of those kind of things. So, of course, we're going to open up with that. It's going to be a two-segment show. Mostly we're going to be, again, uh, waxing nostalgic with The Last Dance. We're going to be talking about an interesting conversation I saw with Kevin McHale and Kevin Garnett. Some of you probably saw it in the past, obviously. I think it was a couple years ago. But it's the first time I'd really seen the whole thing in detail. And I do apologize for that. I mean, I've been kind of stuck in current Timberwolves, but sometimes it's really good to wax nostalgic and all that. You know, I've been kind of forced to be <laughs> forcing myself to be stuck with current Timberwolves to do this show and keep up with things and this and that. But uh, it's good to wax nostalgic. But for now, we're going to talk about uh, Jacqueline Towns, Jackie Towns, who did pass away uh, since the last show, unfortunately. So we're talking about, uh, you know, back in early April. Very, very sad story indeed. Carl uh, Anthony Towns, very close with her. She was like the, the backbone of the family, as they say. Uh, and just a very, very sad story. And apparently he's been, uh, as they describe, incredible. We'll talk about that in the fan interaction segment number two, uh, in the wake of his mother's death. He's been very incredible during that time. And the good news is it looks like NBA practices will be opening up and such. So we might be able to talk Timberwolves basketball again, uh, in some form anyway. I'm not sure... The Timberwolves will be in any kind of uh, tournament, like an extended tournament. I don't think the Timberwolves' win-loss record will allow that, but luckily it sounds like Carl Anthony Towns is a lot healthier. But again, uh, again, Jacqueline Towns passing away. We will give her a moment of silence. Very sad indeed, very sad indeed. Uh, Timberwolves PR says the Towns family is heartbroken by the untimely passing of Jacqueline Towns due to complications as a result of COVID-19. The statement reads, uh, uh, Jackie, as uh, she was affectionately known as, uh, known among family and friends, had been battling the virus for more than a month when she succumbed on April 13th. So that was Monday, April the 13th, quite a while ago now, unfortunately, about five weeks ago. A very, very sad time for Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, 
just a, a horrible thing. They say Jackie was many things to many people, a wife, mother, granddaughter, sister, aunt, and friend, the matriarch of the town's family. She was an incredible source of strength, a fiery, caring, and extremely loving person who touched everyone she met. Her passion was palp excuse me, palpable, and her energy will never be replaced. The town's family is extremely grateful for the outpouring of love and support they have received during this very difficult time. They would like to thank the Medical Warriors as uh, Penn Presbyterian Medical Center and JFK Medical Center who fought for Jackie day in, day out and helped Carl Sr. recover from the same virus that uh, took Jackie's life. So, yeah, because they both had it. Uh, so, a very disappointing, uh, very disappointing outcome. And sometimes, you know, sometimes things just don't happen the way you want them to happen. And, of course, that happened to Flip Saunders. Those medically induced comas, it's just, it's, it's a dire situation. And once again, uh, we lose another one to it. And it's, it's really sad. Uh, the Timberwolves family loses another one. Uh, very, very sad. No doubt about it. Uh, 1960 to 2020. So she was going to turn 60 this year. Um, but uh, definitely very much uh, loved all over the place. And of course, uh, very strong member of that family. The, the matriarch, as they call her. The female patriarch, as they say, of the family. Um it just is what it is, you know. I mean, it's a just a, a horrible situation, and I don't mean it uh, to poo-poo anything when I say it is what it is. It's just one of those things. It's sometimes there's just not a whole lot you can do, and uh, it's heartbreaking. Um, so hopefully, this type of thing doesn't uh, continue in this horrible direction. One interesting thing to note that I dare say, please forgive me for those of you that might think this is inappropriate, and I hope you don't. Jim Peterson, interestingly, around that time, around the week or so, it's like, I don't know if he meant to say it or didn't mean to say it. It came out, though, of course, uh, Timberwolves, the color commentator on the television side of things, said uh, that she had an underlying, uh, what do they call it, underlying condition. So whatever that was. Again, so sometimes it's like that. If you have some type of condition, maybe your uh, immune system is compromised or you have something else like asthma, something else going on in your lungs. God knows what it could be. And you're more you know, you're more liable to succumb to something like the coronavirus in that situation or other things like pneumonia, some things like that. And unfortunately, that's what took Flip Saunders' life because he, uh, his immune system was compromised because of chemotherapy. Uh, obviously, the cancer did not kill Flip Saunders. It was the chemotherapy. It was an infection during the chemotherapy uh, because your immune system basically shuts down in that time. And unfortunately, we were jumping right into flu season because it was like mid mid to late September, Flip Saunders got a fever, collapsed, uh, was put into a uh, medically induced coma, and never came back. Uh, horrible, horrible, horrible story. So uh, a lot of times it is related to that. So just uh, thought I'd throw that in as sad as it is. It's just it's more of an explanation as to what happened. I'm not sure if Jim Peterson wanted to say it because it seemed like that part of the story got swept under the rug very quickly. I know people don't like to get into that kind of stuff. And again, I don't mean any disrespect to anybody. It's just that it's an interesting thing that I caught when listening to uh, Jim Peterson j jumping on, I believe, I forget if it was WCCO radio or if it was KFAN. I can't remember which one, but I think it was WCCO with Chad Hartman is my guess because I tend to keep up with uh, whenever Jim Peterson's on different podcasts and such so there it is uh, god bless uh jacqueline towns 
Carl Anthony Towns, Carl Sr., and uh, the many other members of that family, and of course, uh, many members of the organization that will uh, miss her forever and ever. So with that said, we're going to jump into the last dance conversation. Obviously, it's really tough to, to move into another topic after that, obviously. Um, but uh, we'll be doing that. The last dance. Now, of course, this was a 10-episode deal. The Courtside Podcast coverage of it was remarkable. Uh, courtside Podcast, absolutely spectacular. Wayne Hunt, Vince Germano, Stu Benson. Um, what an amazing show that truly was, keeping up with it. So they would do it, obviously, because the whole situation was it was going to come out in June during the NBA Finals or right after. I forget if it was going to be during or right after, something like that. But around that time, I think right after is my guess. So after the Lakers win their 17th championship, basically, that's what it would have possibly been. <laughs> possibly their 17th championship, or maybe the Bucks win their second, which would have been kind of cool, um, is my guess. And we'll see what happens. Maybe things can still change. Uh, what am I even getting at? Getting at? But uh, it was going to be one episode at a time for 10 weeks, which I think in some ways would have been better because you would have it would have you know drug out longer instead of. See, the thing is. When you watch the shows, I mean, you're captivated, this and that, and you can't really get your eyes off the TV. And the commercial breaks were awfully short. It was mostly Reese's, 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 and then uh, State Farm, State Farm, State Farm, that type of stuff. Uh, Other than that, most of the basketball action we got was the Game of Horse on uh, Easter Sunday, which was kind of cool. It was kind of fun. Game of Horse, little Game of Horse on Easter Sunday. Of course, it was snowing here, which was ridiculous. It never snows on Easter. Come on. So, enough of that. I'll leave the my little political nudge to certain people that believe in a certain thing. I'll leave that alone, but uh, snowing on Easter, yeah. <laughs> Telling. Um, but uh, <laughs> I know I'm a jackass, but uh, no, it was going to be one episode a week, which, see, the one thing is it's like you're watching it here Central Time here in Minnesota. Your Central Time probably, well, yeah, Chicago, other parts of the country, but Central uh, Central's Daylight Savings Time, we'll call it, of course. The show would start at 8, and then it's like, damn, it's 10 o'clock already. Crap, it's Sunday night, and you got to get ready for work tomorrow. Because I wasn't one of the people that was uh, furloughed until now. I think I'm furloughed this time for a couple of weeks anyway. Just a little break more than anything else. But um, it was supposed to be extended for 10 weeks, but then instead, obviously, with coronavirus, you got nothing else going on except a game of horse, the Chauncey Billups, and, you know, Zach Levine getting to the final, and, uh, you know... <laughs> And Conley bringing it home. So this and that. Uh, Mike Conley bringing it home of the Utah Jazz. Uh, we'll talk about the Utah Jazz extensively on this show because of, uh, well, you know, the multiple appearances in the finals and a certain coach of that team that was spectacular passed away today. So crazy. He passed away today. So at 78. Just too much death. Too much freaking death. Too much, man. You lost uh, David Stern on uh, New Year's Day. You lost Kobe freaking Bryant. Kobe freaking Bryant on the 27th of January. Uh, man, it's just unbelievable. Uh, you lose, and, and now you lose Jerry Sloan on uh, May 22nd. It's just unbelievable. So, but no, with coronavirus, to get to the bleeping point, sorry, I'm dragging this out, but uh, they crammed the episodes together, so it'd be like, you know, you go from 8 to 10 within a couple of seconds, and it's like, crap, I gotta get ready for work now. Get prepared for the, the rest of the week here. That was the bad part of it, but again, it's captivating this and that. So, of course, there was a show with two episodes where they talked about two different episodes with the Courtside Podcast. Sorry, I drug that out like 50 miles longer than I needed to. So, great show, though. Check every one of those out if you haven't. Episode 1 and 2, 3 and 4, 5 and 6, 
seven, eight, and nine, and ten, of course. So right here, I'm just kind of, kind of brush it all with a broad stroke and give kind of the highlights of the show here and there on this one. And then, of course, talking about Garnett and uh, Kevin McHale, and then get caught up with fan interaction. That's going to be kind of the focus of this show. Now that I've drugged that out longer than maybe I needed to, uh, happy to be back behind the mic for sure because uh, obviously lawn cleanups are done and all that and. You know, shows will pop up with uh, some historical conversation. Maybe I'll have some interest, uh, some extra stuff to talk about The Last Dance in a future episode. I don't know when State of the Timberwolves is going to be because I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know when the draft's going to happen. You know, normally I take draft night off for the NBA and the NHL and just chill that Thursday and Friday. It's the awesomest ever. And then, but this year, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. So that kind of sucks. Uh, but no, the, the Last Dance, generally speaking, captivating, outstanding. You got detailed stories of Michael Jordan, uh, Scotty Pippen, <laughs> and get to people come out of that one feeling worse about Scotty, feeling somewhat better, but more interested than ever of Michael Jordan. Uh, Steve Kerr, very interesting background, Tony Kukoc a bit, uh, Dennis Rodman, gosh, what a crazy lunatic, but uh, in a good way, I guess. Obviously, uh, it's amazing what Dennis Rodman could do despite all the distractions in his life. <laughs> because he just, you know, he's one of those crazy guys. He's got to, he's, you know, he can't be serious all the time, so he's got to go out and, if it's partying or going to WCW, or, uh, you know, since it wasn't WWF anymore, uh, with Hulk Hogan and such, this and that, he could just come back and turn it on and be the same Dennis Rodman, despite the distraction. So it's quite amazing. Um, and again, Phil Jackson, interesting story with him, starting off in North Dakota, this and that. You got to see more and more of what these guys were all about and all that, and Michael Jordan's true toughness behind the scenes. And you come out of it feeling hungry for more in terms of there probably should have been a seventh championship. Um, or if Michael Jordan didn't retire uh, in October 1993, what would have happened there? It's interesting. It's fascinating when you think about it. Um, the competitiveness Michael Jordan has, I can relate to. Um, I'm at work oftentimes just, I, I want to be the best all the time. And, you know, and I'm not saying I'm Michael Jordan at all. I'm just saying that some of us have, some of us can relate to that. Some of us that are insanely competitive. If you're watching sports, there's a chance you're probably going to have some of that crazy competitiveness in you. Sometimes. Some of you might be more laid back about it, but others might be insane, obsessive. And I think I'm kind of like that a little bit. Um, when I played basketball, I went insane at times. I, I couldn't accept losing. It drove me insane. And especially if it's a stupid way to lose when we should have won, and especially moments, uh, big moments when you want to come away, and especially just watching your team win championships like the 87 Twins, the 91 Twins, uh, watching Gopher Hockey win a couple national championships and then lose in 2014, uh, how many years later? 11 years later after they won back-to-back in 02 and 03. Uh, they lost in 2014 in a, you know, just ugh, disappointing fashion. Uh, fashion. So this competitiveness, you're seeing Michael Jordan dealing with the Detroit Pistons at the very beginning, though, of course, he had the foot injury, and they wanted him to kind of tank it out. And he was like, no, shouldn't the object of the game be to win? And they were able to get into the playoffs, and he made up for the lost time, as they call it, a 63-point game against the Celtics, which they still lost because it was the last super great 86. Uh, it was this last super great team that Larry Bird was on. The 86 Celtics were just the best team in the world that year unfortunately lost in 87 the next year to the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, disappointing fashion there, game six in LA, and it just wasn't their year. And the Celtics, that great Celtics team never won another championship. Uh, you had to wait until 2008 with Garnett 
and uh, Ray Allen, and of course Paul Pierce leading the way with uh, Doc Rivers. Uh, Kevin Garnett is a very good imitation of Doc Rivers, uh, which was kind of cool. But uh, no, George Jordan, obviously, they got swept by the 86 Celtics, but that was when you first truly saw, like, what the heck, man? Not only is this guy amazing from the get-go, coming out of that draft, and all that in 84, like, right out of the get-go, it's like, this guy's really something. Um, and then he comes back, and then he comes back after the foot injury, you know, after getting uh, his time limited to 12 minutes a half, which is very limited, obviously, 12 minutes a half, so it was basically he'd be playing half the game, if, if that, basically. It was tough, and it was frustrating, but then they turned him loose, and he got the 63 points, and uh, the Bulls moved on and ultimately hired Doug Collins, who was highly of... Uh, Letting Michael Jordan just go, turning him loose, no leash of any kind, score, score, score. And uh, that was a very interesting time with Doug Collins, obviously a very passionate coach. And the Bulls had some success. You had your first legitimate playoff run by the Chicago Bulls in 1989. Michael Jordan's uh, crazy competitiveness uh, really coming out. The beautiful shot on Craig Elo in 89. And uh, he's just flying in the air, basically saying, anybody that's not with us can get the F out of here, you know, and all that. It was just amazing seeing that excitement. And the Bulls went on their first playoff run, and they ran into the Pistons for the first of, uh, would be uh, multiple times in a row, of course. The frustration of getting beat by the Pistons, the interesting interactions and such during the uh, <laughs> during the whole thing was fascinating to watch. Uh, you got to see Michael Jordan struggle against the Pistons and then gradually get stronger and stronger and stronger. First year, they lost in the seventh game and beat, got beat pretty handily. The second year, they get back to Game 7 again of the East Finals against Detroit. And then Scotty Pippen has the migraine game and you can just see how Michael Jordan was like, really, really Scotty. You have to be a... You magically have a migraine now and, and you can't play through it. And some people would look at that as, what a heartless bastard. You know, you can't I mean, you, you you don't even know what a migraine is, Michael. Come on, you know, how can you expect a guy to be at 100% during a migraine? So that's where people sometimes come out angry at Michael Jordan. At times, though, I can feel the frustration, like, magically now. Really, you're going to let us down now. And, of course, the Pistons rolled past them again. And uh, Michael Jordan, via <laughs> video evidence, shook the Pistons' hands. He shook all their hands and all that. And next thing you know... The next year when the Bulls, when Michael Jordan got tougher, they came back with uh, Phil Jackson as the coach. And Michael Jordan and all that came back with more of a team-oriented offense with Phil Jackson versus Doug Collins when it was going to be just uh, Michael Jordan, you know, isos and all that. And he'd get his 38 points a game and all that despite getting eight assists and eight rebounds in 1988, if I remember. Yeah, that was an unbelievable season for Michael Jordan statistically. It was like MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, everything. It was just king of basketball uh, during those late 80s seasons and under Doug Collins. But then it's like, no, we got to have a more structured, team-oriented offense. Michael didn't like it at first. And then it just started to click, and they went out and swept those Detroit Pistons, and the Pistons didn't shake their hands. And I know all this stuff, You, a lot of you know a lot of this, but it's kind of just the conversation behind the scenes, because I, I probably shouldn't go too much into retrospective, because a lot of you know a lot of this information after watching the darn uh, video, uh, after watching all the episodes, but it's like uh, the interactions and getting to hear Isaiah Thomas plead his case, 
because the Detroit Pistons just walked right off the floor. And Dennis Rodman, basically, as a member of the Pistons, it's just amazing how you get that point of view, how Dennis Rodman was a, a member of the, the repeat three-peat, the, the second three-peat group, replacing Horace Grant. You got to see Dennis Rodman as a Piston beating on the Bulls and the Bulls. It's just kind of amazing. Dennis Rodman's perspective of the whole thing, he was on both sides of the equation here, which is kind of cool. Uh, beating the crap out of the Bulls, or at least, you know, physically beating the crap out of them. They had to go seven games, but the seventh game didn't go well, as most of you know. Next thing you know, again, the Bulls are sweeping the Pistons. Rodman nearly murders Scottie Pippen, and Pippen doesn't respond. Rather than getting frustrated and getting in trouble and getting, a, you know, getting ejected, maybe a suspension in game one of the finals, which the Bulls lost, which is amazing, but hey, didn't matter, did it? <laughs> didn't matter, did it? <laughs> but, uh, but Scotty didn't respond at all, and the Pistons knew it was over. To hear John Sally literally right out of his mouth say, we knew it was over then, when Scotty didn't respond at all, and how the Pistons just walked right off the floor, didn't shake anyone's hand. They just uh, And Rodman basically says, yeah, F you guys, you know, we lost to you, fine, but F you guys, we're not we're not coming near you. That was basically uh, Rodman's approach, along with a lot of those other guys. And then Michael Jordan watched uh, Isaiah Thomas's explanation. That's probably my favorite part of all of these, is Michael Jordan's reactions to Isaiah Thomas, to Gary Payton. Uh, I don't think there was one with Reggie Miller. I, there might have been. Yeah, but I remember there were no, there was an interesting back and forth. There have been multiple back and forths with Miller and Jordan, but apparently they get along okay. Uh, in the early days, it wasn't so good. Um, but you know how guys get, you know, they get to know each other better and things get improved, kind of like Magic and Larry. Uh, same thing there. Um, Ma- Michael and uh, Michael Jordan and Isaiah Thomas, that relationship has never gotten better, other than Isaiah Thomas saying nice things about him when he's the color commentator. You know, he scares people and he's a killer and he pushed off a little bit, you know. <laughs> That was kind of the funny part, but uh, the way Michael Jordan responded was really something. Just that look, the facial expressions, and him just kind of saying, yeah, whatever, you know. We shook their hands. You can't tell me Isaiah Thomas isn't an asshole. Stuff like that. I kind of found that as uh, extremely impressive <laughs> Extremely impressive to get all that reaction. Um, you get to see all the emotions and such, and that's where this was captivating for me, especially. Uh, the way he laughed his ass off at Gary Payton when Gary Payton said basically, "Hey, if uh, Coach uh, <laughs> George Carl put me on Michael earlier in the series, we would have had more success because they won those two games in a row in Seattle. You know, they they made things closer. Uh, they were able to force a game six. No, they won game four in Seattle and then game five in Chicago. They would have made things much closer. Um, yeah, oh my, they would have made it so much closer." Nope, no, they were both in Seattle. I forgot. That was the 2-3-2 era. I'm screwed up now. 2-3-2 uh, era in the finals. Everything else is that, you know, 2-2-1-1-1 deal. But, uh, yeah, now they've made it all 2-2-1-1-1, which everybody appreciates. After the Spurs got screwed, you could say, in 2013. But I just think that he deserved that championship, even though some of you might not. <laughs> but, uh, no, they won multiple games in Seattle. The fourth game, six. And then Gary Payton said there would have been more success. Michael's reaction, I mean, to see him laugh as hard as he had, as hard as I've ever seen him laugh when he said things might have been different, maybe. Michael just, <laughs> I've never seen Michael laugh like that. You could call that like a belly laugh. I mean, it was funny. I loved it. I was like, listen to this guy. 
Oh, I loved it. And he said, the glove. I had no problem with the glove. And he basically said he had other things on his mind. Could it be possibly he was like, screw it, let's go back to Chicago. It's more fun to win at home. And plus the fact that game six, of all things, happened to fall on Father's Day. So Michael could honor his father by winning the championship on Father's Day. And then you saw, you know, because you always, all of us that watched basketball back then, and, you know, we all have that fixated in our minds, the memory. It constantly is in our minds. Michael Jordan on the locker room floor holding the basketball and sobbing, and absolutely just sobbing his eyes off. And But you couldn't hear it. You could just see it. You could see the movement and everything. But this time you actually heard it. Like he was almost choking. The guy was almost choking on the floor. He was crying so hard. So the true emotions were coming out because it was the first time Mike, uh, James Jordan wasn't sitting next to Michael uh, when Michael's holding the trophy, and there they are, and Michael's smoking those big, long cigars that probably cost $70 each, <laughs> if not more. I'm just messing that up. I'm, who knows? Who knows? Even a $20 cigar is extremely expensive, I think. Um, but it was the first time. No James Jordan and how he came back and all that, and it was it was just you know you got to see the emotions there you got to see the emotional responses to uh, Isaiah Thomas Gary Payton you know watching it on the uh, t- the tablet there while we were seeing it on television or you know casting it from our our phablet in my case phablet uh, Note 10 to the TV when need be uh, because certain things required that for, at times. Um, <laughs> But uh, you got to see all these back the background emotions. You got to see the interactions. Michael Jordan uh, coin toss competition with his with one of the security guards. You got to learn about um, another guy also, Gus, who was a part of his life, like kind of like a, a surrogate father after his father passing. It often call him crying in the middle of the night. This and that. It's just it's fascinating because not none of us knew about him, and now he's passed away as well, which is really sad because he was already his health was majorly deteriorating in '98. So. He died like a couple of years after that, if I remember correctly. He's 98 to 2000-ish. Very sad there. Uh, you got to learn more about Scottie Pippen and his frustrations and such. And He grew up very poor in uh, Arkansas. Uh, he was a more obscure guy, but uh, an amazing trade by Jerry Krause, which he does deserve credit for. Uh, Jerry Krause did not draft Michael Jordan. Rob Thorne did. But uh, Jerry Krause did draft Olden Polonice, who nobody's ever heard of. Okay, we've heard of him. He was just a mediocre uh, mediocre power forward who not many people have heard of in a positive way. Wound up uh, trading him to the Seattle Supersonics for Scottie Pippen and all that. Um, the rest was history. Scottie Pippen didn't jump out of the gate spectacularly, but he was you know, he was promising. He was promising and I don't think they expected him to be the number two star on a great team, to be like the, almost the best Rod, uh, Robin ever you know, to Superman Michael Jordan or Batman Michael Jordan, the best uh, Robin of all time with a great defense and all that, and still the ability to score 20 to 25 points a game, which Scotty did do on a very uh, regular basis. But his desperation for money, he was he signed a very long-term contract at only $2 million per, and I, I know all of us would take $2 million in a heartbeat. That's the thing. We would do it too. But when you could be making 9 10 12 15 million a year, which Scotty probably should have been. I know that's laughable now because, you know, freaking Gorgie Zheng's making 16 million a year. And Gorgie Zheng's not even a starter. He's better than Olden Polonese, but he's not even a starting player right now, even though I'd probably start him. Uh, but he's not like this all star starting power forward. 
back then, 16 million was a lot. You know, and even in the NBA, it was a ton. Uh, but Scotty probably should have been making about that. He was making two million a year his whole tenure with the Chicago Bulls, and then by the end of '98, it was like, you know, they offered, okay, do you want? Well, we can offer you more money now because the contract's over. And he basically said Jerry Reinsdorf can go to hell. So, and he literally said that. I still remember that when they ultimately was traded to the Houston Rockets and all that. Finally got his sixteen million a year, which was nice. But uh, and of course had made some money with Portland, had some success there. Didn't get along with Charles Barkley in Houston at all. Told him I don't want to play with his sorry butt. Basically, those two never really got along um, and had much more success in Portland. But unfortunately, age started to catch up a little bit, and the freaking Lakers beat them, which I wasn't too happy about in 2000. They, they had that series. They had it, and they just choked it away. Choke. That was disappointing. Um, there was also rumors of the Scottie Pippen trades throughout the tenure. Like, Scottie was unhappy. Rumors of trades uh, during, I think it was around 92-93, Seattle again. He would have gone back to Seattle, actually, to play with the Sonics for the first time for Sean Kemp. Very interesting. That would have been, turns out, would have been a horrible trade because Sean Kemp, you know, uh, post-lockout came back uh, bigger, a lot bigger and he couldn't play, any, he couldn't really play anymore after that, the Cleveland Cavaliers he could play a little bit, but he wasn't the same Scotty stayed good, Scotty was still an all-star player and first Bell Hall of Fame type of guy uh, unfortunately the guy's attitude was just not the best, uh, he refused to go in with the Tony Kukoc thing, you get to learn more about that it's like obviously we knew about it, but it's just you got to see more and more of that emotion and that kind of that bad attitude that Scotty had uh, my brother, who was a huge Bulls fan, he was saying that was the one thing that was kind of a turnoff. That's when the NBA started to suck a little bit because people became kind of bitchy about money, 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 money. Uh, the love of the game seemed to kind of go second to money, 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 and I need to get more, and it got kind of silly. Sure, Scotty got gypped, but hey, Jerry Reinsdorf, to his credit, warned him, hey, once you sign this contract, you know, you can't complain about it because, un, until it's over. It's a guaranteed contract, so you're guaranteed the $2 million, but I'm guaranteed that that's all I'm paying you. Do you understand? That's, that's called business, folks. And, Scotty, you know, it's like, can you, the NBA doesn't renegotiate contracts. It's, it's, it's not the NFL. In the NFL, you can do that. Ha, you know, in, in basketball, it kind of is what it is, one way or another. Like, in the, in the NFL, sometimes they renegotiate it down, that type of thing. They renegotiate it down to get under the cap. Stuff like that. NBA is two million in a good way or two million in a bad way, but you're getting two million, brother, until '98. And well, it kind of is what it is. Two million a year until '98. Thirty-three years old. Thirty-three already. His golden number is his golden year in terms of his number that he wore. But uh, amazing stuff and frustrating. But that's business, man. I mean. Uh, <laughs> At least Reinsdorf was honest with him. Like, hey, this is all you're going to get. Because, But if you want just the guarantee, there it is. But that's it. So it's just one of those type of TS type of situations. Um, that's, you know, it was fascinating. Uh, I don't come out feeling horrible for Pippen. And he did kind of, he was kind of a, a jerk to Tim Rules fans, we'll say, when the Wolves and the Blazers played in that first round back in 2000, 99, 2000. He was kind of a jerk to us. Uh, I forget what he did. He took down some Timberwolves poster and just kind of like said, yeah, you guys are done. You guys are worthless, basically. You're not going anywhere. It was something like that. It was at some bar. Just kind of like, yeah, screw you guys. He like crumpled it up or something. He took it down and crumpled it up. 
Like, you guys are, yeah, you guys are finished tomorrow night. Hell with it. You guys are losers, basically. It was something along those lines. Kind of the, you know, and I didn't like that very much. I didn't like Co the way Kobe treated Scottie Pippen in the uh, Western Conference Finals either. Uh, I wasn't too impressed with that. I mean, Kobe was just getting into the league, and he's treating Scottie like, who cares about you, basically. I didn't like that either. Uh, it's kind of, I don't know. There's There's always been a jerk factor to the NBA going back to God knows how far. That's the part that sucks about the NBA, but it is what it is. Um, I respect Scotty as a player, but he kind of brought some of the frustration onto himself. So, but I mean, I'm not going to bash him and hate him over it. Uh, but again, you don't feel too good about him. He, again, he just kind of brought it on himself. Dennis Rodman, obviously, you know, it was fun to see his his uh, upbringing and all that. In a way, obviously, he was poor, unfortunately, as well. Him and Scotty are probably the poorest guys. Uh, I'll bring in Rodman was always kind of an oddball, but he was slightly more normal. And then, you know, just hard work, man, hard work. And despite how distracted he was, he wasn't distracted when it was time to play. And that's, you just learn more and more and more about that type of thing. No matter what, but an oddball the guy was, the way he could just stay focused when it was time to stay focused. The high IQ he had on that court, and the effort and passion, and the way he would get in other people's heads, like Alonzo Mourning. Uh, not so much with Carl Malone, maybe a little bit, but a little bit entertaining back and forth with those guys. But it was an interesting uh, situation there. Uh, Michael Jordan was always hard on the other guy that played power forward for the Bulls in the first half, the first three peat, Horace Grant. That relationship was never really that good. Horace Grant was always kind of, you know. He was more emotional. He didn't respond well to Jordan's bullying. He, he really didn't. Um, and Phil Jackson also. Phil Jackson not bullying him, but kind of like punishing him, this and that. Like, why am I getting treated like crap? Bleepity bleep, you know, and he felt bad because obviously Horace Grant, more of a Christian type of guy, he does not like to swear. I still remember reading that in the, uh, the Jordan rules. And then, of course, there's all these rumors about that Horace Grant was the... Horace Grant was the leaker to the to Sam Smith of the Jordan Rules and uh, his other book. And Horace Grant comes back with lie, 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 lie. Uh, whatever it is, it is what it is. If he had the sources, fine. And if Horace Grant was the source, fine. Thank you. Quite frankly, go ahead and hate on Horace Grant for that. I say thank you because they were good books. It was special. Uh, Jordan Rules was an awesome book. So thank you for being a source at the end of the day. Uh, it's just fascinating to see... What a son of a gun Michael Jordan could be, though. How tough he was and how much of a hard time he gave other players. Um, Scott Burrell, that was entertaining. He just said he was too nice a guy to get in his head. Uh, guys like that. The interesting, crazy situation, Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen giving Tony Kukoc a hard time during the Olympics. The way they literally focused on making sure he scored nothing. It was their knock on Jerry Krause because, obviously, you know, constantly Michael Jordan was constantly giving Jerry Krause a hard time, talking about his growth and all that, and careful for the cigar. Yeah, you don't want the cigar. It'll stunt your growth, Jerry. Stuff like that. Uh, but it was kind of both sides were kind of jerks at the end of the day. The way Jordan and Scotty were, like, beating up on Tony Kukoc, but Kukoc had nothing to do with it, basically. He's just, he's just in the middle of the whole thing. Jerry Krause was a jerk in terms of the way he's like, yeah, well, we're bringing in this guy, and you're going to... You know, like you know, if you like it or not, you know, you were bringing him in, and he's 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 like the he's like the he's going to be like the new star of this team, basically, in a lot of ways, 
or at least he's going to steal some of your spotlight. The way the attitude from Jay Cross wasn't good, but the attitude from Michael and Scotty wasn't good either. Just interesting dynamics. And it's just amazing how Phil Jackson was able to manage these egos and these extremely strong personalities. Michael Jordan, 10 times stronger than anybody else in the roster, which tells you a lot. There was a strong personality with all these guys. Even Steve Kerr had a strong personality. Um, for Phil Jackson to be able to manage these guys, it was quite amazing. Uh, the way he was able to pull certain strings and uh, keep Michael Jordan focused where he needed to be, and the way Michael was kind of pulling his own strings. Uh, this guy basically, he, he even made something up. Was it against the Washington Bullets? That was crazy what he was able to do there. And he just torched the poor guy that nobody's ever heard of. I mean, I never heard of the guy uh, with the Washington Bullets at the time back in the early 90s. It was kind of weird. Late 80s, early 90s, though, Michael Jordan torched him. Um, absolutely crazy. And I apologize for jumping around the way I do, but hey, that's pretty much how the documentary was in a lot of ways, jumping around. Um, but, I mean, I just loved how in-depth you get. I mean, you, you bring back old memories, but then there's deeper parts of it, deeper parts of the memories. Uh, Steve Kerr obviously lost his father, just like Michael Jordan. They never really got into it, which is interesting. It's interesting how they never actually talked about it, they kind of, but they just kind of knew. They knew they had that relation. They both lost their father to murder, which is really sad. Both of them were shot in the head, if I remember correctly. So horrible, horrible situation. Both of them were shot. And of course, uh, Steve Kerr's father was an ambassador in Lebanon, of all places. I mean, my dad is from Lebanon. My dad's from Patroon, Lebanon, which is uh, very close to Beirut, Lebanon. Uh, Steve Kerr's father was shot and killed there in '84. Lebanon and the way uh, opposing fans were basically saying your dad got shot, ha 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 kind of, it, they were just basically you know, to paraphrase, they were just making a mockery of it unbelievable, but then Steve Kerr ended up torching them with like seven straight threes, which back in those days was pretty rare uh, Steve Kerr uh, loved him with the Chicago Bulls and all that, I'm not a fan of the Golden State Warriors, and we all know who he's coaching right now. I do feel at his roots, Steve Kerr knows which team was the better team. As much as he loves his team right now, the Golden State Warriors, and he was the right coach for that team. There's no question. Bringing in Steve Kerr to that Golden State Warriors team put them over the top. He brought that Phil Jackson, Michael Jordan-esque uh, magic to that organization, to a team that hadn't won a championship since the mid-70s and wasn't anywhere near winning anything, even though they had great players. Chris Mullen, Tim Hardaway, Latrell Sprewell, uh, Owen. Uh, you could just go on forever. Uh, how many great players went through that organization during the 80s and 90s and how they never had success? And then they had some some success, but they just never got over the top. Steve Kerr goes there, and they can't miss. They just they can't, they can't miss. It was unbelievable what they were able to accomplish. Uh, it was absolutely gorgeous what the Chicago what the uh, Chicago Warriors, what the Golden State Warriors were able to accomplish. But at the end of the day, I'm not a fan of the Golden State Warriors, and I'm not a huge fan of when Steve Kerr gets political. I'm not a huge fan of it. Um, sometimes, let's just say it gets under my skin a little bit. Um, but, I mean, I, I have some respect for the guy, uh, especially his time with Chicago, and just, you know, obviously, heck, my relation to Steve Kerr is, well, my dad's, my dad's actually from Lebanon. So for him to be, his father to be an ambassador 
in Beirut, Lebanon. It's pretty amazing. So that's kind of kind of cool in a lot of ways. Steve Kerr definitely. So we have that connection with that. The cedar tree there with the flag. Um, it's the cedar tree and the flag there. And they show that on uh, Basketball Reference as his country. Pretty cool. So Steve Kerr, we have that relation there a bit. Um, obviously, again, I'm not a huge fan of his politics and his political rants and this and that. And his, you know, I don't know. Let's let's leave that where it is. You can kind of read between the lines how I feel about all that already. But uh, cool career and the way Michael Jordan showed faith in him after you know there was a, a fight, literally a fight between the two early on before they started winning championships together. Um, we all remembered him from the Cleveland Cavaliers and even the Phoenix Suns. Pretty cool stuff. But then for uh, Steve Kerr to bring in that strong personality despite his skinny, kind of smaller stature was able to show some toughness when he needed to and boy did he hit that big shot in the 97 finals it was pretty spectacular nice to see the interaction where Michael Jordan you could literally hear him be ready be ready be ready for the ball and well there it was just like how Michael Jordan and uh, Horace Grant all them got uh, John Pagden hooked up for a game-winning shot against the Phoenix Suns kind of cool kind of cool uh, John Pagden obviously a very clutch shot to defeat the Phoenix Suns that was pretty sweet to watch the first three-peat and, of course, Steve Kerr to get the second repeat uh, in 97. Uh, one of the most... There's two images, though. Michael Jordan gets the Jazz. Obviously, the 98 one is the, the, the final brush stroke by the Leonardo da Vinci of basketball. You could say the final brush stroke. That shot he hit after the very minimal push-off on uh, Byron Russell. Brian, uh, Brian Russell. Uh, it is by it's so <laughs> it was always the back and forth of that one Byron Russell um, it's Byron um, that was the most that's the ultimate Michael Jordan image is that shot but let me tell you that clinched fist that clinched fist and that, that determination look after Michael Jordan hit the baseline shot against the Jazz in game one is number two for me uh, obviously number three you could argue is even better. The Craig Elo shot when he's flying in the air saying, if you're not with us, get the bleep out of here. That was pretty cool too. Uh, the 89 shot on Craig Elo. But those are three images that will last a lifetime. And of course, uh, that shot he hit against Utah. Again, just to see more and more of that. But it's cool to see the interaction between Jordan and Kerr on the bench. So you get to actually see that happen. Uh, I love that. Absolutely love that. Um, other notes, you could just kind of keep bouncing around all over the place with all these guys. Luke Longley, the first Australian, of course. The Timberwolves drafted him in the first round out of New Mexico. Next thing you know, he's traded for uh, Stacy King. Stacy King has a 20-point game and sucks for the rest of eternity. <laughs> Poor guy. And then Luke Longley goes to Chicago and immediately goes from a guy who was mediocre to a guy that fits perfect, who was mediocre with Minnesota and kind of miscast to a guy who fits in perfectly with the Chicago Bulls with that triangle offense. Uh, you need a big man that can pass and has a high IQ, which is what, again, Bill Cartwright was. That's where Bill Cartwright actually was a fairly nice upgrade. Even though Charles Oakley was a better player, Bill Cartwright was a better fit because of that. The high IQ and, of course, the strong personality in the locker room, which, again, was uh, evident when he basically gave Scottie Pippen an earful after the whole incident with uh, Kukoc back in 94 when Michael was missing in action. Um, big moment, big moment there, without a doubt. Um, but no, Luke Longley brought that value. He was another good passing big man. A little clumsier, let's just say. A little clumsier guy. 
than Bill Cartwright, but sure, but still brought that high IQ game to the Chicago Bulls and helped them win three championships, despite being a part of a Timberwolves organization that wasn't so good at the time. Uh, God, God bless us. Ah, definitely fun stuff. Judd Buster was interesting. Obviously, Bill Wennington is a cool guy. <laughs> a cool guy, without a doubt. Just fun role players on that team. Uh, Joe Klein was able to squeeze in a ring. Good for him. <laughs> you hardly ever saw him play with the Bulls much. Um, I just, I, you know, the whole thing was cool. Obviously, just the fact, though, to me, that's kind of the most telling of the whole thing is it's just, it should never have been the last dance. When Michael Jordan, very early on in the entire, uh, uh, very early on in the early episode said, you win a championship, you should have a right to uh, defend it. And I agree with that 100%. And I still remember back in 97, 98, you could tell that was the last dance. Even us that weren't insiders, just random basketball fans in Minnesota, Australia, Illinois, Texas, wherever you are that loved the Bulls and Michael Jordan and all that, you knew it was the last dance and you saw the anger and frustration of Michael Jordan's face during the course of that year. And there was articles like, something's bugging Michael. Well, that's what it was. He didn't want to retire. He didn't want to retire. But it was one of those situations where if you're going to go into a full-on rebuild because you can't handle the fact that Jordan and Jackson and Scotty are getting credit for these championships, despite the fact you're getting the rings and you are the general manager of these championship teams. That's not enough. I mean, you've got to be worshipped. I mean, he could have, you know, he would have still gotten a statue, I'm sure, because he was the general manager of a six-time champion. Six times in eight years. So the fact that you got to tell Phil Jackson to his face, even if you go 82-0, it's over. Next thing you know, Phil Jackson goes in the locker room, tells everybody it's the last dance, and that was episode one. And Michael Jordan continued to say, if you're a defending champion, you should have every right to repeat it. You know, the Bulls hadn't won their sixth championship yet, but then they did. And he strongly believes that uh, they should have, you know, they could have won seven. He would have been very willing to sign a one-year contract. Scotty would have been willing. Phil would have been willing. Rodman would have been willing. That's what they kept doing in 97 and 98. They kept re-signing for one-year deals. Let's do it again. Let's just, let's go out and do it again. And I agree with Michael 100%. Could they have beaten Tim Duncan and David Robinson in 1999? I say yes, they could have. If they would have hung around one more year for the Los Angeles Lakers in 2000, at their older age, I think they would have had a hard time. That would have been unbelievably captivating. It might have been kind of like the New York Islanders and Edmonton Oilers. With uh, It might have been like that. Kind of like when the Chicago Bulls beat the Los Angeles Lakers in 1991. It was in a lot of ways like when the uh, Edmonton Oilers beat the New York Islanders. The dynasty of the 80s, you know, the early 80s in that case in hockey, and then Gretzky's Oilers defeated them. And then the best player ever to, went on to win multiple championships in very in a very short time. Several championships. It was four cups in five years for Wayne Gretzky and the Edmonton Oilers. So it would have been like Michael Jordan grabbing the torch from Magic Johnson. Uh, five championships in the 80s, and then Michael's the, the king of the 90s, so to speak. And he sure was. Boy, was he the king of the 90s. And that's kind of what that was. And it might have been Michael passing the torch to Kobe in 2000. That could have very much been the case, I think. Maybe the Bulls the Bulls would have won the East in 1999 for sure. They would have been in the finals in 1999 for sure. 
uh, even though Michael Jordan had a serious cut in his finger, it would have healed uh, at some point. It happened in like uh, October or something during the lockout. That's what kind of messed everything up was that damn lockout. But also a cigar cutter really lacerated his finger and he would have missed a significant amount of time, which is very un-Michael-like. Um, and it was on a shooting hand, which sucks. But I do believe Michael would have found a way to get back out there uh, when it matters most. I can't imagine the laceration was that bad, where he would have missed like a season or something. I think they would have beaten that Spurs team, but they would have absolutely beaten the Knicks and the Pacers in 99. Uh, the 2000 Pacers would have been really tough to beat, I think. That might have been, that might have been the undoing for the Bulls, or it may have literally been Michael passing the torch to Kobe and Shaq. Very possible. I'm not sure the Bulls would have beaten the 2000, you know, the Bulls at, you know, Michael Jordan at 37, Scottie Pippen at 35, Rodman at frickin' like 39. That would have been really hard. That would have been really tough. Uh, But the thing is, that's where, like Michael Jordan said, be creative. That's where Jerry Krause could really earn his money. Not by tearing the whole thing down and starting over from scratch, which didn't work at all. In fact, the Bulls just sucked balls for like 10 years until they got Derrick Rose and Tom frickin' Thibodeau, yay. But uh, they had some success that it didn't last long because Thibodeau couldn't get along with anybody either, obviously. But uh, Jerry Krause, yeah, be creative. This is where the creativity comes in is the money. And of course, Jerry Reinsdorf as well, uh, afraid to sign the players. When Michael just had a look in his eye, not of anger, not of sarcasm, almost heartbroken. He almost had a heartbroken look on his face because he never heard Jerry really talk about it. Jerry Reinsdorf, in this case, uh, where Steve Kerr, Dennis Rodman, Scottie Pippen would have cost too much. Well, they could have found a way, and they would have been willing to come back, at least to beat the Spurs, possibly. But I do think the uh, Bulls win the uh, 99 East East again and would have tipped off against the San Antonio Spurs. It would have been extremely tough. I think the Bulls would have beat the Spurs. I, I think they would have beaten them. I, I don't. I, it would have been very tough. Um, it would have been very, 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 very tough. But I think they could have found a way. It would have been fascinating. But if they came back for two thousand, if they didn't step away and retire after that, they go for they go for number eight. Wow! I think they wouldn't have won. That's just my guess. Only because of their age. Uh, the Bulls in their prime. I'm sure Vince Germano and Stu Benson and others aren't too pissed off when I say this other Laker fans from the Courtside Podcast I hope you're not pissed off when I say this, I'm guessing you won't be I think uh, like the 96 Bulls would have beaten the 2000 Lakers uh, absolutely, 93 Bulls, yes they would have beaten that team just like they would have beaten the I think they would have easily beaten the 2016 Warriors They would have not easily, but they would have beaten them 2017 Warriors with Kevin Durant, I think they still, I think the Bulls still beat them. The 96 Bulls still beat that team. Yep. As difficult to beat as the 2017 uh, Warriors were, I think they still beat them. But no, um, the heartbreak on Jordan's face, though, when he just said he didn't want to have to, you know, he thought that we, they couldn't afford that market value. Well, the Bulls were making over a billion dollars a year back then. Back then, they were making over a billion a year. Do you understand what I'm saying? 98, they were making over a billion a year. Them and the Dallas Cowboys are making more money than anybody else. And the Yankees. New York Yankees, Dallas Cowboys, Chicago Bulls, you're in that category, and you're worried about paying Steve Kerr, Scottie Pippen, and Dennis Rodman for their market value? I don't know. It might not have been that bad. I don't think you're going to have to give Steve Kerr, like, $15 million a year. He's not even a starter, for Pete's sake. So, I don't know. I think that was BS. 
they could have they could have done it. And I agree with Michael Jordan now and uh, the heartbreak there. I think they could have they could have won seven. I think eight was not going to happen. Uh, the retirement in '93 is very interesting, fascinating to see how they would have tipped how they would have tipped off against the Houston Rockets. Ooh, that 94 Knicks team was damn good, but they were damn good in 93, too. Uh, a lot of people, that, that was when the Knicks were absolutely at their peak. Uh, the 93 Knicks, the, the Bulls beat them in six. The, the, the Knicks were beat in six. <laughs> After winning two games, going up 2 nothing. the Bulls just roared past them. 94, see, Michael was still young and healthy. He was, what, 30, 31 in 94, if he never retired. He was burnt out, though. That was the thing. Would he have been too burnt out, and would he have maybe lost to the Knicks or the Rockets? Possibly. Eight in a row is not easy to do. Uh, and really, playing the game, he's burnt out of everything else. He's burnt out of, hey, are you gambling, Michael? Are you gambling, Michael? You gambling? You gambling, Michael? Huh? Was that a part of your father's death? Was that gambling a part of your father's death? Was 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 he a was he a hit from these 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 mafia gangs or something like that, or was it uh, the uh, you know stuff like that? The endless, just just too many questions every ten seconds. Just let me live. Like when he was getting into the '98 finals, he was listening to something probably that I wouldn't be interested in. I don't I don't like, I don't like a whole lot of I don't know I don't like a whole lot of music after 1995. Let's just put it that way because it was new at the time, and they were asking him questions about, hey, how, is it gonna, how are you going to do against the 98 Jazz or whatever? How are you going to do against the Jazz after they're really strong? And he's just like, basically like, can I just walk in peace? He just kind of said, I don't know, maybe something like that. He was just screwing around with them, and then he said, can I just walk in peace? That's kind of how it was with Michael. No matter where he'd go, he wouldn't get a break. Uh, he was smoking a cigar on the, on the, on the couch. Yeah, this was during 98 when he was already kind of at a point like, yeah, I'm done. I'm done. I'm, I'm ready to retire. Not because of the, he didn't want to play, but he was tired of everything else. So that's what could have done them in, possibly, is the frustration and the burnout from everything other than basketball, everything surrounding the game and being a, a star player. He just wanted a break, I guess, and that's why it took 20, 21 years for this documentary to come out, despite all that footage back in 98 and all that, um, which was fascinating stuff. But, um, I thought it was an absolutely spectacular documentary. I agree 100% with Michael Jordan about how they could have definitely won seven. They could have won seven. Uh, and it's a crying shame that, uh, well, he got kind of burnt out and was thinking about retiring back in 93. We'll all, we'll all just have to wonder. That's where we're stuck with because it's all these years later. And that's what's kind of torturing Michael right now is we probably could have beat the Spurs in 99. Probably. We, we could have. We would have. He wanted at least a crack at it. And if the Spurs beat them and it's, and it's over, so be it. Go ahead and blow it up now since that, uh, since that uh, you know, we got a chance to defend it and we failed. So be it. By 2000, I think that would have been the end. That would have been, you know, New York Islanders to uh, the Edmonton Oilers situation. And, of course, Magic to Michael, Michael to Kobe. It would have been Lakers to Bulls, Bulls back to Lakers again. Yikes. Uh, but who knows? That's the other thing. Where, where would have Phil, would Phil Jackson have been the coach of the Phil Jackson would not have been the coach of the Lakers if he hung around that long. But maybe, maybe the Bulls get the seventh and Michael steps away on his own terms, or I don't know. Maybe maybe ninety nine would have been the last dance. It would have just been extended one more year, or maybe the Bulls lose to the Spurs and then my uh, Phil ends up going to L.A. anyway. Um, he doesn't take the, the year off and goes right to L.A. right away. Who knows? It's all a fascinating 
thing that'll just have us pondering for forever. It's not, you know, it's not the most important thing in the history of the world because we all have other concerns in our life and all that. We all know, but it's still fascinating to uh, to wonder, to wonder what could have been, what could have been. Uh, could Michael have played another 10 years? No, not another 10 years. Could he have played another two or three years and the freaking wizard thing never happened? That would have probably been a good thing. <sighs> that was a mouthful. I apologize if it felt like rambling on and on and on, but uh, I enjoyed uh, talking about that, no doubt about it. It was uh, definitely a fun, uh, fun thing to kind of go over, to talk about, to discuss, to think about. With that said... Gosh, I'm actually thinking of taking a break now because <laughs> taking a break and then talking about the Garnett and Fli- uh, Garnett and McHale, I think I'm going to go that direction instead. I was thinking of keeping this all one segment, but it ended up being quite a mouthful because it's you know the whole doggone series in one. And if more thoughts come into my head, I'll talk about that into the into the next episode of uh, you know of Timberwolves Explosion. I'll throw in some more last dance thoughts and feelings going into that one. Like why didn't I mention this? That type of thing. With that said, I'll take a quick break. We'll come back and talk about Garnett and McHale and uh, get to fan interaction. We are back here on Timberwolves Explosion, segment number two. In this segment, we're going to talk about the Kevin Garnett, Kevin McHale conversation, which was a lot of fun on NBA TV. And we're going to throw in the fan interaction conversation in this one because it's fairly short. In fact, very short, generally speaking, because, you know, there's not a whole lot going on. I mean, obviously some sad news, multiple sad things happening at the end of the day. Uh, Not a whole lot of good news other than, you know, just fun conversation, Garnett and McHale, but I do think that was a year or two ago. <laughs> Forgive my ignorance on when it actually took place, but again, it was a very entertaining conversation, so we're going to piece this all together in two segments. Uh, of course, uh, we'll talk about Jerry Sloan after Garnett and McHale, the Kevin and Kevin thing. Uh, <clears throat> a couple nights ago, I was just kind of kind of switching around. You know, I was coming home from work, and I just turned the TV on. It happened to be on NBA TV, of course, and then it was right at the beginning, thankfully. Very lucky. I saw Kevin McHale and Kevin Garnett sitting down. I'm like, oh, wow, this has got to be very interesting. Uh, McHale was the interviewer. Garnett was the interviewee. And right after that, Garnett was the interviewer. Dwayne Wade was the interviewee. Right after Dwayne Wade's retirement, because last season was uh, Wade's final season in the NBA. Of course, the year before. Not this COVID crap nonsense year that's been delayed or canceled or what the heck. Uh, we have no idea what's really going to happen. So that's why I don't know when State of the Timberwolves is going to be where usually there's a draft preview, brief, brief free agency, and of course you put a bow on the regular season with the Timberwolves and the postseason with the other teams, because unfortunately we won't be in it right now. Uh, definitely high hopes moving forward with the D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns. Unfortunately, the two of them only got to play together once, but, you know, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Obviously, uh, Malik Beasley's got a lot of promise, this and that. Uh, it was definitely... The interview, the conversation was definitely before all the Hall of Fame uh, deal started up. Of course, <laughs> you know, <laughs> by the time Garnett was officially named to the Hall of Fame and he had the huge, uh, mean, mean conversation about uh, Glenn Taylor, <clears throat> the COVID thing had already kind of started and obviously there was no basketball going on and, of course, Kobe had already passed away. 
that type of situation. So it's been a really nasty 2020 in so many ways. But let's talk about something positive a little bit. Uh, it kind of brought me back in time. It kind of did, because obviously it was conversation about Garnett's whole career and how Mikhail drafted him and they had that conversation and you got to see all that energy you used to see with Kevin Garnett rather than kind of the angry, frustrated, unhappy Garnett who didn't want to answer this, didn't want to answer that. Uh, he seemed like the old Garnett from back in the day when he was with the Timberwolves before, again, like I'm saying, before he got frustrated and pissed off. And Because obviously one thing led to another. Marbury leaving, Gugliotta leaving. Gugliotta left because of Marbury. And, and then there was all that illegal stuff that that's the real reason Gugliotta didn't come back uh, when he was actually willing to kind of change his mind and come back. Very complicated stuff. Uh, they didn't really get into that. I'm sure Mikhail wouldn't want to. <laughs> I'm sure he wouldn't want to get into that. And, of course, Garnett didn't give him a hard time about the Cruz situation. Remember when Garnett was traded to the Celtics? Mikhail's former team, of course, with uh, Danny Ainge and all that. Um, <clears throat> very entertaining conversation. Again, uh, it was nice to see it. It was sad, uh, obviously, when we kind of rehashed Marbury leaving, this and that. Uh just the energy and all that, and he talked about unfortunately, it's just one of those things where the uh, team energy was much better in Boston. Um, with Minnesota, there was just, you know, there was fun people here that he liked to play on the same team with, this and that, but then there was just ongoing conversation about how in Boston it was just more professional, this and that, how right away they could tell it was this team, it was a team uh, thing right out of the gate. It wasn't just Garnett. Uh, Cassell and Spree, that one really good season where they kind of hung out. It was the whole team hanging out together, which is a good sign, obviously, right out of the gate. So it's frustrating for us as Timberwolves fans, but cool to see that, that he appreciated that in, in Boston. Um, again, it's at the end of the day, it was more of just really nice to see Kevin Garnett's energy, Kevin Garnett's, <laughs> Kevin Garnett's big eyes and all that, you know, when he pops his eyes out real big. It was kind of fun to watch that at the end of the day. Uh, it was just it just kind of took me back in time. It just kind of did. Uh, and it kind of eats at me as well, where we could have probably had Ray Allen from the get-go, this and that. Uh, conversations that I continue to have in my head when I'm thinking about things and when I was watching that is, so you lose Marbury and Gugliotta, which really sucked big time. Gugliotta was going to get older eventually. That's the one thing. But here was the one funny thing. As we, as frustrating as Terrell Brandon was, and we went through that, <clears throat> Cassell might have been acquired before that, but we all know how Cassell can be. He, he'll get somewhere. The first year, he's extremely good. The second year, it's like he starts to kind of, you know, some of his issues kind of come up to the surface. Like, he, you know, the, the attitude. It seems like he could never get along with a coach at the end of the day uh, for an extended period. You know, certain coaches have a shelf life. Certain players do, too. And I think Sam Cassell was that way. Uh, Spreewell definitely had a shelf life. That was like five seconds. So, I mean, it's just like... That's, it's, it's frustrating when you sit down and analyze that. Maybe we could have gotten somebody other than the Terrell Sprewell and that Terrell Brandon trade. Not Big Dog Robinson. I wouldn't have wanted him. I wouldn't have wanted Glenn Robinson. He was worse. In fact, he was just, he was just empty stats, quite frankly. Sam Castell was a warrior, a winner, this and that. But there were two reasons he got traded. One reason, the other team wanted him really bad because they knew, they, they saw what they saw. They saw a guy who was clutch. They saw a winner. They saw a guy who was a go-getter. But then there's the other side where it's like, yeah, he's this and that, but boy, it seems like he's just always <laughs> always having issues with the coach after one year, after one really damn good year. Like it happened in Clipperland, it happened in Celtic, or excuse me, Bucksland. Um, this and that. It was cool that Sam Gasell got his uh, third championship with Garnett. He was actually with Garnett when Garnett got his first in Boston. 
that was cool how that turned out. Um, very fun to see, although, although uh, Sam Gasell at that point was very reduced in his role and went on to Sacramento and just kind of hung out there with uh, Rick Adelman and became uh, uh, an assistant coach during that time. Very cool. He's still a coaching candidate someday. It's interesting to imagine him as a coach when you consider he didn't get along with coaches very long. <clears throat> but this is more about the Garnett situation and what could have happened, what could have been. It's, you know, a lot of ways you think Garnett could have won more than one championship in Boston and the heartbreak of Game <laughs> game 7 in 2010. Just the look in his eye, how they had that big lead and how they let it go and they weren't crying or anything. They just couldn't believe it. They just sat in that locker room for hours just kind of staring silently. They couldn't believe it and he was describing a bit of that. Getting back into the Timberwolves zero with Garnett, though, something that eats at me in a big way is, again, you lose Marbury, you get Terrell Brandon, blah, blah, blah. Very disappointing. Wally Zerbiak was never anywhere near what some of us hoped he would be. Could you have taken maybe Richard Hamilton instead? Would he have been an, uh, would he have been an improvement? I actually thought the Wolves were going to take Richard Hamilton, and there was all this steam about Wally Zerbiak instead, and that's, uh, that's where it went, unfortunately. <laughs> that's exactly where it went as I try to pull up that draft here, at the end of the day, it's an extreme frustration. Uh, I do think Timberwolves probably could have done better than Wally Zerbiak. Um, it's sad how right out of the gate they got along, and then things changed not long after that. Uh, you didn't get Odom, you didn't get Baron Davis. would have been amazing if the Wolves could have gotten Baron Davis. Uh, they liked Steve Francis. Andre Miller was another option, possibly, which I think could have been good. Could have taken uh, Ron Artest instead of William Avery. But there was another guy named Frederick Weiss who never played a game in the NBA taken by the Knicks right after Will Avery. Um, so that's important. Crazy to think Will Avery actually played 142 games in the NBA, but obviously nothing really great came out of that. Uh, you could have taken Sean Marion. You could have taken Jason Terry. You could have taken Andre Miller, Richard Hamilton instead of Wally Zerbiak. Uh, Corey Maggette, depending on how you feel about him, he was okay. James Posey was a nice, solid player. Uh, this and that. Andre Kirilenko would have been spectacular. That's a big one. Imagine him. Maybe imagine if you took Sean Marion and Andre Kirilenko, though. I guess they kind of play the same position, so that might have been complicated. But, um, yeah, Langdon didn't amount to much. Trajan Langdon, he looks like a nice general manager candidate in the league. To get to the damn point, which I never seem to do as fast as I'd like to, because I just kind of wander, because I'm so fascinated by history, this and that. Uh, you had a solution at the point guard position. When you sign Chauncey Billups, as crazy as that sounded at the time, it's like, and it's crazy to think we, the Timberwolves actually put him at shooting guard at first, which just didn't work out at all. Uh, Chauncey Billups is not a shooting guard. Even though he can shoot the basketball, he couldn't, if he couldn't guard shooting guards, there's no way he could match up with Kobe Bryant, this and that. There's just, he just wasn't that kind of guy. And then when the Wolves put him at point guard, and all of a sudden it was like kablooey. And it was like, whoa, 30 points, 8 assists, 28 points. 10 assists. It was like, oh, damn. It was just beautiful. It was amazing what uh, Chauncey Billups was able to do with the point guard position with the Wolves. And then there were some frustrating moments, and his defense was still this and that, and people were saying, he's not a point guard. But then, every time he played point guard and he started, he was pretty damn good. And then the Wolves were unwilling to bring him back because we weren't willing to uh, just say, Terrell Brandon's done. But then Terrell Brandon was done. He didn't play that whole damn season after that, so you could have kept Chauncey Billups. And if just, if only the Wolves were willing to keep him, because we all know what Chauncey Billups became right after he left for Detroit. Okay, sure, there was kind of a back and forth with Chucky Atkins and all that, 
that first uh, first couple months there in Detroit, but then not long after that, he became a borderline Hall of Fame point guard with uh, Detroit and Denver. Denver is hometown, and he went back to Denver <laughs> later on. Um, just, you know, he was always miscast, it seemed like, for the longest time in the early days of his career. Like, Boston was just kind of a mess. I don't, I mean, I, I don't think he knew what the hell uh, Rick Pitino wanted there in the early days. Rick Pitino traded him right away. Toronto, what the hell? Who knows? Denver, yeah, he put up great numbers, but he was playing shooting guard with Nick Van Exel. Okay, that's a weird combination. And, of course, here it was a weird situation playing shooting guard as well with Terrell Brandon, a, a backcourt that couldn't stop anybody. Terrell Brandon was 5'11", Chauncey Billups was 6'3", and neither one of them was particularly good at defense. Chauncey was better at defense, particularly when he got to Detroit, because it's just kind of in their blood in Detroit. Um, again, it's just amazing to think the Timberwolves had a solution to the point guard position, which would have made Garnett so much you know, happier, so much better with Chauncey Billups, if only we could have kept him around. I mean, we just lucked into that one, when you think about that, with the uh, mid-level exception. That one always eats at me and will eat at me forever because, you know, he was, you know, instead of Sam Cassell, see, when you had to trade for Sam Cassell, Cassell is seven years older than Chauncey Billups. Seven years older than Chauncey Billups. Great acquisition at the time, but it lasted one bleeping year. Where Chauncey Billups could have been the long-term solution. He could have, quote-unquote, got old with Kevin Garnett. This and that. They were born the same year, 76. Uh, they could have played together for the next seven, eight years in Minnesota, and who knows what would have happened. Uh, you had you had somebody. It's just too bad. And if only you drafted better, like Andre Kirilenko, you would have gotten some defense to help out Kevin Garnett. Can you imagine Kirilenko and Garnett at the forward positions? And then maybe you keep Zerbiak with, uh, maybe you take Zerbiak with uh, uh, Chauncey Billups, or you have Chauncey Billups and Richard Hamilton, or Sean Marion, or something. I mean, it's just a crying shame how things went the way they did. Even Corey Maggette was adequate, about 13 and a half points a game during his career. It's just a damn crying shame, isn't it? It just drives you absolutely crazy, considering the Timberwolves did look into that position. And I kept thinking about that the whole time Garnett was having that conversation, how it's just, there just was never a solution after that. And obviously Garnett wasn't going to get into McHale, and McHale wasn't going to talk about that a whole lot. But it was a fun interaction between the two guys. And again, my mind just started wandering. That's the funny part. All my mind just kind of wandered during that conversation because it's hard not to um, when you consider the success they had in Boston and what it could have been in Minnesota by getting super lucky and getting Chauncey Billups with the mid-level exception just a couple years after all that, that crazy situation where you lost Joe Smith and this and that, and then you get him back and you got Chauncey first, then you get Joe Smith again. and It would have been nice. It would have been nice. And it was funny how Chauncey Billups... During that offseason, before the truth came out, Chauncey Rose said, well, if Joe Smith keeps signing one-year deals, things must be good here in Minnesota. There must be a reason why he's doing that. And it's because there was already a, an agreement. That's why Joe Smith was signing one-year deals. There was already a secret agreement for a long-term situation there, which was kind of funny. But, uh, yeah, crazy. Crazy, crazy when you analyze that and kind of feel bad about it. But... Uh, could have been a beautiful situation. Just Chauncey Billups and Kevin Garnett at the very least. And then maybe there's Wally. Maybe there's uh, Meta World Peace, if you want to call him that. I guess that's what we have to call him now. I, Yeah, it's Meta World Peace. Fine. It's a weird name, but it's his name. MWP. Or, again, Andre Kirilenko or whoever. But um, <clears throat> it's too bad that uh, they, they like vision, just like the Chicago Bulls like vision. And how I ended that conversation. Um, I didn't even get into the conversation about the, the 
food poisoning game, you know, flu, the flu game as we always called it at the time. And now a lot of people are basically like, there's no way it was a pizza. That sounds too crazy, too weird. Maybe it was a hangover. But I don't think Michael Jordan was going to be hung over right before a game in the NBA Finals. I would have been shocked if that was the case. Uh, that doesn't sound like him. <clears throat> there might have been food poisoning, but maybe their story was kind of BS, kind of radical, kind of out there, kind of random. Because how would they know it's Michael Jordan? There's no way that information would get out there that easily, would it? But uh, maybe somebody tipped them off and they must have... I don't know. Maybe they spiked the pizza with something that they shouldn't have. That type of thing. But can, can't that get kind of criminal, though? I mean, I don't know. I don't think that's worth it. Um, that was a weird conversation, weird situation. I'm not sure really how to describe it or how to... I'm not really sure what to make of it is what I'm trying to say. Um, the 1999 draft wasn't all that great. It really wasn't at the end of the day. But there were some good players that came out of it. Obviously, Kirilenko, 24th overall... Um, but yeah, there was a lot of, like, Leon Smith was basically psychotic a bit. That's too bad. He wound up going to the Spurs. I thought he wound up in Dallas not long after that. Deion Glover didn't amount to a whole much. Jeff Foster, just okay. You know, William Avery was almost nothing in the NBA. It was extremely frustrating. Um, it just kind of is what it is when you, when you analyze all of that. Uh, I guess McGetty averaged 16 points a game. I was looking at the wrong thing. That's actually not bad at all. Elgin Brand, again, I don't think he was that great either for a number one pick. I mean, that's where the Bulls just, you know, they thought, here we go, number one pick right out of the gate. And, yeah, great. <laughs> he wasn't that good. He was okay. This and that. Crazy, weird situation. Lamar Odom lasted a long time in the league despite some kind of uh, up and down behavior, this and that with him. But, uh, no, I mean, it was fun. It was a fun conversation. It was enlightening seeing Garnett and McHale kind of go back and forth. And again, it's just what could have been in Minnesota. They had so many opportunities to make it better, and you'd still screw it up. You know, you had Garnett and Marbury. Maybe you could have just kept Ray Allen all along, and then oh, hopefully you get one more guy. Garnett and Ray Allen would have probably been the better combination, even though you desperately, desperately needed a point guard. You at least had Terry Porter for the time being, and then maybe the next year, somehow, some way. Boy, uh, it's it, it's it's all kind of tough to say because I mean the one thing is Ray Allen didn't start out great, so the Wolves more than likely would have still been in the lottery in '96, and the 1996 NBA draft was a sight to behold. I mean, so the odds are, or '97, pardon me, '97 draft was a bit different. I'm getting mixed up. Uh, Ray Allen was 96. Yep, of course. Ray Allen was 96 with Garnett. He wasn't with Garnett. It was the year after. Um, again, there's Chauncey Billups. I guess maybe you could have taken Chauncey, but he slipped. I, I don't think the Wolves would have gotten that high. Antonio Daniels was a massive bust. So it's hard to say who the Wolves could have wound up at point guard. I mean, maybe you could have gotten McGrady, which would have been interesting. Maybe you had to play small forward. Doesn't look like a whole lot of options, though at the point guard position, unfortunately, which is kind of funny when you think about it. Uh, there was Bobby Jackson, but he was a shooting guard. Even though he was undersized, he was a shooting guard. So, 97 really didn't have the point guards you would want. Hmm, dark. Uh, Marco Milicic. Well, Marco Milicic. Isn't that something? 33rd overall to Philly. Marco Milicic. Marco. Yeah, Marco. Quite a few years earlier. Must have been a much older brother and never played a game in the NBA, which is kind of funny. Um, 
the Wolves' situation at point guard wouldn't have been a tough one. I mean, there's no way the Wolves would have gotten Mike Bibby as long as Rayon continued to get better. That is a tough, it's kind of tough. The more you look at it, the Wolves would have struggled getting a point guard, but maybe through free agency somehow, somehow, some way, unless we, you trade up and you get really aggressive and get uh, <laughs> Chauncey Phillips. It really weren't a whole lot of point guards. You know, there's Jason Williams, Ch White Chocolate. Uh, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Again, I don't know if the Wolves would have been picking seventh in the draft, which is where he went. So that's the one thing. That's the one tough part about, uh, you know, Marbury versus Ray Allen. It would have been tough to get a point guard, but I guess you can only hope and pray if you get lucky somehow, some way there. But uh, again, getting Chauncey Bills via free agency a couple of years later, then there you go. Maybe you just go that direction. And then you have Chauncey Billups, which would have been insanely cool. Chauncey Billups, Ray Allen, Kevin Garnett. Within two or three years of those guys playing together, I think the Wolves are in the Western Conference Finals against the Lakers and Spurs, and we'll see. Uh, could the Wolves have won championships? if things went correctly with Ray Allen, Garnett, and Chauncey Billups. Maybe. It's just still, you want to believe that things were wide open, but really, were they? See, they're open if you get out of the West. You're going to beat the New, uh, the New Jersey Nets in the NBA Finals, for sure. The Wolves would have beaten the New Jersey Nets in the Finals. They probably would have beaten the Pistons in 90, uh, 2004, pardon me. But it's just, unfortunately, you got the Spurs and the Lakers to get past. But maybe one of those years they could have, and they could have squeaked out at least one or two championships out of that whole thing. And it's a hell of a lot more than absolutely zero, which is where we still stand to this day, and it feels like we're 100 years away from our next championship, as uh, positive as things might be with uh, D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns. So let's move on. Let's talk about Jerry Sloan a bit. We could look at him as a player before a coach. He was drafted by the Baltimore Bullets, so he played one year in Baltimore to start things off. Drafted by Baltimore, ultimately averaged 14 points, 7.5 rebounds, 2.5 assists in 755 games. As a player, he was an all-star twice. Played the rest of his career up until he was 33 years old with the Chicago Bulls. Pretty cool. Pretty damn cool. Uh, again, several games played. Averaged 14 overall. His best overall season was 70-71. 18.3 points a game, and he played 80 games that year, too. So very, very uh, durable during that time. Though some years he missed a lot of time. One year he had 53 games. Uh, 77, some years 69, and then at the end with the Bulls in 75-76 uh, at age 33, he only played 22 games, so that's quite unfortunate, but uh, looked on as one of the greatest hustlers and hardest players, uh, hardest playing player in NBA history at the end of the day. He just played his ass off. Uh, Jerry Sloan started off his coaching career with the Chicago Bulls pretty much a couple, just two years after his career ended, basically, 79-80, well, three years, three years after that, uh, 37 years of age. He was an assistant coach in 77-78, so pretty much right after that he became an assistant, then was the head coach two years later, and, well, generally speaking, had 75 games, uh, 94, uh, 94 wins at the end of the day with them, in the three three seasons, generally speaking, he was let go in the midpoint of that season, which none of us understand. It was not a very good season for the Bulls, and as Michael Jordan would tell you, it was kind of a not a very good situation there, uh, generally speaking. His best season was his second year with the Bulls, him being Jerry Sloan, of course. 45 wins, 37 losses. His first year, 30 wins, 52 losses in his last year in 51 games after uh, leaving. 19 wins and 32 losses with a win-loss record of 3-7-3. 
during that time, uh, during those years. But again, above 500 in the second year, they uh, ended up losing in six games in the first round of the playoffs. So they made the playoffs once. The Bulls actually made the playoffs in 8081 <laughs> when Michael Jordan was just uh, getting started with the North, uh, with North Carolina there as a freshman. Or actually, no, he was leaving high school. Actually, still from uh, from Wilmington, North Carolina. Ended up taking over the Utah Jazz in 88-89 and put together an unbelievable record. His overall record in the NBA in 2,024 games, 1,221 wins, 803 losses, win-loss record of 603. That's his win-loss percentage, for, uh, so to speak. 23 years with Utah. And yes, as his win-loss record in Chicago, here it is, it all uh, compiled together, 94 wins, 121 losses, winning percentage of .437, and in Utah, .623. And, of course, again, when you realize how Stockton Malone were done by 03 and 04, they were no longer with the Utah Jazz. They still put together some really nice seasons with Matt, the Matt Harpings of the world. Had a very uh, disappointing year in uh, 04, 05, because the team was just completely disbanded by that point. I mean, there was just nobody left. So it was kind of like a rebuilding year. And by, and right after that, they were back to 500 in 05, 06, and they made the playoffs four more times with the Utah Jazz, incredibly. And then he finally stepped down for good midway through uh, 2010, 2011, which was a sad situation, only 54 games. So he just stepped down, even though they had a winning record, and he left at the end of the day. Utah, though, definitely competitive. They got into the second round so many times. Third round, obviously, and made the NBA Finals twice. Never brought home a championship, unfortunately, but uh, he ran into Michael Jordan twice. Uh, Patrick Ewing never won a championship. And speaking of Patrick Ewing, apparently he has coronavirus and he's been hospitalized. So that's like brand new news there, which is quite freaking unfortunate at the end of the day. Uh, definitely unfortunate when you think about that with Patrick Ewing. So God bless him and hopefully he'll uh, come back healthier than ever after that. Um, again, great coaching record by Jerry Sloan. What did he miss? The playoffs only three times in 23 seasons. Insane overall time with the Jazz, especially. And again, Chicago, it just kind of was what it was, but the, they gave up on him too quickly, unfortunately. And then was an assistant coach for four years where he joined the uh, Utah Jazz or Utah Jazz staff in 85-86 when Carl Malone was just getting started as a rookie and then eventually took over in 88-89 and just kind of rolled from there. Just kind of rolled from there, which is pretty cool, considering uh, what kind of success level he had with that Jazz team. Uh, Jerry Sloan, God rest his soul, 78 years of age, dying from complications of Parkinson's and such. Uh, definitely a sad situation. Twitter, uh, Twitter, it's mostly just uh, Levi Brown saying, uh, welcome back, thank you very much. Levi Brown out of New Zealand, and then re, uh, retweets from Vince Germano out of Australia. Tanae Brown and Levi Brown out of New Zealand. Thank you guys so much. At Wolves Explosion, at Wolves Explosion is the Twitter account. Please do give that a follow if you could. Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash Timberwolves Explosion. Facebook.com forward slash Timberwolves Explosion. Ooh, COVID-19 business resources. I'm not too worried about COVID-19 doing Timberwolves Explosion right now, so I'm not going to be clicking on that anytime soon. <laughs> Yep, so here it is, uh, again, the article from Star Tribune back on April 13th. Carl Anthony Towns' mother, Jacqueline Cruz, dies after a COVID-19 battle. And in, and there is belief there was an underlying uh, condition. We don't know what it was, but if Jim Peterson said it, it's probably true, most likely. 
I don't think Jim Peterson's out there just giving out fake news, so to speak. Uh, Tanae Brown, New Zealand, says, Such sad news, thoughts, and prayers go out to their family and friends. Rest in peace. And I agree there, 100%. There was talk about the key uh, roster moves under President Gerson Rosas. Very cool. No interaction with that one. But uh, again, it was all the different crazy moves that took place during the course of time. And most of them look like look like a positive. I mean, some of it's like salary dumps, this and that, but you kind of have to do that. You know, and Jeff Teague, it's like a small salary dump because it's only one year anyway. But uh, it's an opportunity for the Wolves to get a lot better and getting Malik Beasley. You know, I like James Johnson an awful lot. Obviously, the D'Angelo Russell trade is just f- phenomenal. Uh, it's a, it's spectacular and all that. It's cool that you can get rid of uh, Wiggins' contract. It sucks that you have to give up a draft pick that could end up being very high and could end up helping the Golden State Warriors in a big way in a year or so. But, uh, Wolves will have their pick in this draft if it ever happens. But next year's draft, it's, uh, well, I think it's like top three protected. So if the Wolves have the fourth pick in the draft... Well, Golden State, here's an opportunity for you to hang around for a lot longer, which was what the Bulls should have tried to do during the course of time. If you're going to trade somebody away because you don't want to keep them, so to speak, get a high draft picker of some sorts, and, uh, you know, you could have guys uh, work with Michael Jordan, kind of rebuild on the fly when you already still have the, uh, some main guys like Jordan and Pippen. Maybe Rodman's getting old, so you get a, a younger big man to help out. That's all the Bulls needed to do, or again, free agency. Because who wouldn't want to play for the Chicago Bulls with Michael Jordan? I mean, it's like, what? what's your ring size? <laughs> you know, that's one of the uh, questions coming into the... Uh, that's one of the questions coming in uh, when you're signing the contract. What's your ring size? Okay, so it's that. All right, cool, thank you. So there's about a 50-50 chance we're going to actually win the championship, much less... <laughs> much less uh, <laughs> even even may uh, I mean making the playoffs is a guarantee and uh, being getting super far in the postseason is pretty much a guarantee and you just might actually win it all this and that in fact with Michael Jordan it was more than 50% chance you're going to win the championship particularly during that time it was like 80% chance I mean there's always a small possibility they might lose but uh, just wasn't meant to be uh, I was sharing the courtside podcast again because I'd say missing it would be a horrible mistake, and it really would have been. They were covering episodes 7 and 8 at the time, and Vince Germano out of Australia, Melbourne, Australia, Victoria, Providence, says, thanks, brother, appreciate your support, and darn right, and thank you guys for the shout-outs you give me on the Courtside Podcast, which is available on all the same applications except PodMN, I'm sure. I don't think they get the PodMN one, but just about everything else. That is a significant uh, uh, podcasting application. So, I uh, also shared episodes 9 and 10, which were obviously very interesting, and the talk about the seventh championship that probably, you know, was a legitimate discussion. They weren't necessarily guaranteed it, and they would have ran into a young Tim Duncan who was, like, just getting going. David Robinson was still good, uh, slowing down a bit, but still good. And you had all those hungry players that never won championships and were always kind of pushed aside by their teams, you know, like Avery Johnson and this guy and that guy, and I believe they had Mario Ellie by then, too, who had gotten it done with uh, Houston. There was another, a couple of former Rockets on that team, eventually Robert Ory, but many, many years later, well after Michael Jordan would have been retired again, because they didn't get Ory until, like, 07, I think, when uh, Ory claimed his seventh championship. Man, he looked super old by then, but he still hit some clutch shots with the Spurs, which just drives me insane. It's unbelievable what that guy was able to accomplish, Robert Ory. Uh, guy I would have loved on the Wolves at one point. So I shared again episodes 9 and 10, Courtside Podcast. This is Wayne Hunt. Wayno, your host, Wayno, who I did lots of imitations of, and uh, you'll hear that in some of the introductions where I pretend Wayne Hunt is Scotty Pippen, I pretend he's Michael Jordan. Uh, 
I was like myself as Gary Payton when Michael Jordan was laughing at Gary Payton saying that uh, things would have been different if I was on Jordan the whole series. And I was joking about, uh, hey, well, if I got a chance to host the Courtside Podcast, they'd probably get better numbers. And then he's like, (laughs) Joey. I'd have no problem with Joey. So again, and I apologize to any Australians that might not like me imitating an Australian accent because I know not everybody likes that over there. Some of you do and some of you really don't. So I apologize. I'm not going to do it very often on the show for that one reason. Uh, guys on the court side seem to enjoy it. So that's why I keep doing it. They, they, they enjoy it a lot. I don't want to scare people away from this show if, you, if you're annoyed by that because I know some of you are, unfortunately. So again, all respect to those of you out there that don't like that. Uh, Wayno says, Good sir, thank you for all your support over the years. We really appreciate you continuing to plug the show and let it be known. We are just as big a fans of TE as you are of ours. Yep, Tim Rules Explosion. Let's get you on the show soon soon for a catch-up and chat. Cheers, mate. And yeah, I mean, uh, stay tuned, those of you out there that listen to this show. Too. Uh, and again, keep listening to the Courtside Podcast 100%, always. But uh, again, Wayne Hunt out of Sydney, Australia. Finrock Vince Germano out of Melbourne, Australia. And Stu Benson also out of Sydney. He's the second richest man in Sydney. He's the second. So he, he's, he's the glum gold to the Scrooge, uh, the Scrooge McDuck there. You know, that type of thing. I, I, I'm not sure who the Scrooge McDuck is. If you guys can fill me in who he is, the richest man in Australia, let me know. But I know Stu Benson's the second richest because uh, he's one of the greatest auctioneers in the history of the world. In fact, if he's the second richest man in Australia, he must be the best auctioneer in the history of the world. <laughs> Sold, right? Okay, sorry. Um, and that would be great to get on the show at some point. Uh, every time I go on there, it's just an absolute blast. Uh, again, Wolves president Gerson Rosas is incredible after mom's death. That uh, cat was incredible after his mom's death. So interesting read there. Do check it out. And I saying, God willing, there'll be a show during the weekend. And yes, there it is. It's here. It's the weekend, and we're doing the show. Uh, first segment was recorded uh, on Friday. Second segment today, Saturday. So again, that's just how we do it. Sometimes, you know, it's... I don't think that hurts any show or anything. It makes me sound weird saying that. It's just to being transparent. Sometimes that's how you have to do podcasts, just kind of switch things up, this and that. So, again, God rest uh, Mr. <sighs> God rest Mr. Jerry Sloan's soul. God rest uh, uh, Jacqueline Cruz. Very, very sad. Jacqueline Cruz, Carl Anthony Towns' mother there. Very, very sad situation. Carl Anthony Towns, definitely a mix there with uh, black and Latino. Ah, great guy, and uh, hopefully the defense improves a little bit, and I hope he doesn't just uh, hang out on that three-point line. That's all I'm going to say about that. But other than otherwise, an amazing uh, player with a, a ton of uh, ton of potential moving forward, and you know that's that's where we stand with that uh, amazing future still. And I can't wait to see D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns play many years together. Uh, D'Angelo Russell also made it known that uh, he just felt the love and the appreciation from the fans right away, and he's very happy to be here. So, good. I mean, we have a potential star duo here that are happy to be here, and let's let's keep things going in the right direction with that. Gerson Rosas, Mr. Collaboration. Ryan Saunders, Mr. Well, let's uh, play a more of a modern game well, with some flip throw-ins uh, for plays as well, from some classic Flip Saunders plays mixed in as well, which is always a, a fun and cool thing. You get to say Coach Saunders, for another generation. Isn't that cool? So it's kind of funny when you think about that. But with that said, I think I've spoken long enough. I apologize if it got a little rambly here and there during the, the last dance or even right now. But, uh, you know, I just love talking about the game. I love uh, keeping up with things. And, of course, it's been a long time since the last show. And 
Not sure when the next one's going to be. Uh, maybe another retrospective. It probably won't be as long as this one because I was kind of getting caught up with 10 bleeping episodes of the, the Last Dance. So if there's another one, it'll be some more catching up and maybe some additional thoughts that I may have about this and that being The Last Dance or some other retrospectives or uh, something new coming up. Like, here comes the NBA season again, which would be great. With that said, hopefully we get to see the NBA. We'll hopefully we'll get a, a nice postseason and asterisk or not, it's still something to enjoy and it's good that there will be some type of conclusion one way or another if there is. Before I sign off, we'll just kind of wrap up things with the contact details and give you an opportunity to get on the show with your voice and all that, which would be absolutely great. And of course, you can interact with the uh, the Twitter account at Wolves Explosion. Do tweet me on there. We can interact on there at Wolves Explosion. Facebook.com forward slash Timberwolves Explosion. We can interact on there. And I can't thank you guys enough, you know, posting questions, comments, this and that to get my thoughts going. I know Wayne does a great job with that, and everybody's welcome to do that. And you can also get on here via audio submission, which would be greatly, greatly appreciated if you were able to do that. Simply open up your smart device. There should be a voice recording application built into your smart device of any kind. Everything has it. Otherwise, there's free apps everywhere if you like a different one. Simply click, click record, treat it like a phone call. Keep it about five minutes, but if you go longer, who cares? As long as it's not like five hours of talking about cooking recipes or something, or coronavirus, which I don't want to hear about much a whole lot anymore, other than that it's over. That's the only coronavirus conversation I want to talk about, is that it's over and we're going back to normal, or some kind of normal anyway, which would be greatly appreciated. Uh, but to be able to do that, again, you record, you hit stop, you save it, you email it to live at yahoo.com. Live at yahoo.com. It would be great to hear you. On there, I will then convert it into an MP3 file thanks to Zamzar.com. Absolutely love that website. They give me a free service because the file is not too big, so it's free. And if you need a uh, if you need larger files converted on a regular basis, like larger files, you'll sign up for a monthly subscription for them. So I'll give them a free plug thanks to their free service. It's uh, simple as that. Even though we've never met each other, <laughs> it's I'm more than happy to give them a free plug because of that reason. You know, they make a difference for my show. Uh, other than that, please do write a positive rating on iTunes or any of the other applications that you might use if they give you that opportunity to review this show. Give it a nice five-star rating if you could. Four stars is okay, but five is better. We greatly appreciated. And write a brief little comment about uh, what you like about the show, maybe even what you'd like to see improved a little bit. And I'll give you a thank you and a shout-out on air, and greatly appreciated. Don't be shy. Please help me. <laughs> It'd be great, right? <laughs> Please help me by doing that because the more the merrier with that. It just makes the show look more and more attractive to anybody else out there looking for a Tim Rolls podcast. With that said, can't thank you guys enough for being a part of the show and uh, God bless all of you. Hopefully uh, we'll get back to things sooner rather than later, maybe in the next couple of weeks and we'll get caught up with what's going on. 